If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. You've tuned in to Columbia Calling, your first stop for everything you want to know about Columbia. How and where to invest, where to visit. From the Pacific to the Caribbean, the Andes Mountains to the Amazon jungle, Columbia has a slice of everything. Shooting from the hip, answering the questions that need answering. Here's your host, the journalist and hotelier, Richard McCall, shedding some light on the fashionable South American destination of Colombia. It's that time of the week again, folks. This is me, your host, Richard McCall, here in Bogota, Colombia, 2,600 meters closer to the stars. And this is episode 436 of the Columbia Calling podcast. This week's very special guest is Pete Watson, PhD, up there at the University of Leeds, uh, living up there in Sheffield and so on. But he wrote a book some time ago. We've had him on the show twice before, well, many moons ago, when he was just talking about you know, starting out in his research for his PhD dissertation. But of course, it is absolutely fascinating. It's well, it's football as nation building, really, in Colombia. And it's not so much about football, this chat. This is about politics. This is about the society and beyond. We do discuss the, the women's Copa America. And, well, it was a bit odd that uh, President Gustavo Petro didn't take full advantage of this, didn't uh, start tweeting. He kind of tweeted after the event when the women's team the Colombians women's team lost in the final to Brazil. An amazing achievement for uh, a team really without a league, really with players who don't get paid, uh, are very much in second place to the men's team. And yet they get to the finals of the Copa America. So we discuss all of these things, nation building, Gustavo Petro, President Santos, President Duque, and so on, the keepy-uppies from President Duque. Uh, and and it's, just a, it's just a really good chat about these things. It's a really interesting sociological look at, at football in Colombia as something to nation build. Is football the only thing that unites Colombians? That's the question we ask of uh, Pete Watson uh, on this week's um, Columbia Calling podcast. Please remember that the Columbia Calling podcast is sponsored by Latin News, a leading source of political and economic analysis on Latin America and the Caribbean since 1967. Their flagship publication, the Latin American Weekly Report, provides a behind-the-scenes briefing on all the week's key developments throughout the region. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at latinnews.com. This episode is also brought to you by BNB Columbia Tours, experts in custom-made travel throughout Colombia. The team at BNB Columbia Tours can provide you with fantastic private experiences, creating wonderful memories of Colombia for a lifetime. So check out their website at bnbcolumbia.com, complete the free itinerary form and tell them that Columbia Calling sent you to receive a further 5% off their already great prices. So if you 
sign up for these or you know get in touch with these people they'll continue to sponsor us here so that's latinnews.com and bnbcolumbia.com and if you don't want to sign up for those sign up for us on patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash columbia calling and you can throw a couple of dollars a month at us or emily hart and myself to make this more financially viable economically sustainable hopefully one day here so over now to the news with emily hart and then we'll be back with pete watson chatting about well something he knows a great deal about don't go away i'm emily hart and these are your top stories for the week of august 15th 2022 under president gustavo petro colombia's new government has spent its first week in power making steps towards fulfilling some of this year's campaign promises Just one day after he was sworn in, new Minister of Finance, José Antonio Ocampo, filed an ambitious tax reform in Congress. His proposal seeks to collect an additional 26 trillion pesos next year, more than 1.5% of the country's GDP and around 6 billion US dollars. The new system proposes higher tax rates for higher-income individuals, as well as for financial and extractive sector companies and unhealthy or environmentally unfriendly products like single-use plastics. In his presentation, Ocampo emphasised that the reform seeks to maintain the country's fiscal stability but reduce inequality and poverty. He also highlighted that the proposal, if approved as is by Congress, will only affect people earning more than 10 million pesos per month, around 2% of Colombians. There would, however, also be a permanent wealth tax for those who have equivalent to 700,000 US dollars in assets. The proposal does not modify VAT, but does eliminate controversial VAT-free days. The reform would put a 10% tax on exports of coal, oil and gold when sold over a certain price threshold. Oil and coal are the country's top exports and source of royalties, but Petro has promised to stop new oil development and move the country away from coal production. Also this week, Petro has implemented the biggest shake-up of the armed forces in modern history, controversially purging more than 20 police generals amid his new appointments. Discontent deepened with a tweet in which Petro warned that he will sanction military and police commanders if there are massacres or murders of social leaders in their jurisdiction. The criteria for selecting his new commanders was reportedly zero corruption, zero violation of fundamental rights. His appointments signal a change in security policy for the country. Petro said... The concept of human security means that success lies not in the number of dead, but in substantially reducing deaths and massacres and increasing people's liberties and rights. Petro has promised a reform of the police, removing the police from the Ministry of Defence's remit, tackling corruption and human rights violations and dismantling the controversial ESMAD riot squad. Also this week, Petro has made the appointment of the final member of his cabinet, Biologist Arturo Luna will be head of the Ministry of Science, Technology and Innovation. Colombia and Venezuela have also appointed new ambassadors. It's the first time since 2019 that the two countries will have ambassadors in their respective diplomatic headquarters. And the much-hailed total peace is also underway, with Colombian officials in meetings with guerrilla group the ELN in Cuba with the aim of reopening peace talks. 
Foreign Minister Alvaro Leiva also met with his Cuban counterpart to talk about the possibility of continuing negotiations in Cuba, where talks with the FARC guerrilla were also held in the lead-up to the 2016 peace deal. The ELN has made two gestures towards the beginning of submission to justice. The group decreed a ceasefire and, last week, released nine people who had been kidnapped for a month. The UN Secretary-General has recognised and approved of the talks and offered the organisation support for the Colombian government's dialogue with the ELN. Meanwhile, former President Iwan Duque already has a new job in Washington. He will be a fellow at the Wilson Centre think tank. In a statement, the Wilson Centre explained that Duque will focus on encouraging policies to address climate change and the migration crisis among the region's governments and private sector organisations. Those were your top stories for this week. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next Monday. And we're back. This is episode 436 of the Columbia Calling Podcast. I've got Pete Watson. I think you're in, I want to say Leeds. I want to say Leeds around there? Sheffield. 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 Working ah. in Leeds, but uh, still living in Sheffield. Okay. Well, that's Yorkshire, right? That's right, yeah. Uh, there we go. So we got Pete has been on the show a few times, and of course, he's now a doctor. He's an academic. He's uh, got a book that came out a little while ago, but he was last on the show, I think, in 2017 when he was doing the research for the book. It's out now, and it's made some waves. Uh, it's called Football and Nation Building in Colombia, and then sort of the subtext is the only thing that unites us. So first and foremost, congratulations, Pete. Thanks very much, Richard. Yeah, I think you were kind of there all started, really, like, as you say, when I was starting off with the project. So you've kind of seen it at the start and uh, yeah, here again at the end. So no, thanks very much. No, it's been a real pleasure. And it's been a pleasure to watch through social media how, you know, it's all grown and there's been a spread of the information because it's not something I mean, we we know let's say that this this football and nation building and you particularly studied the language used uh, by Colombian presidential sort of candidates or presidents and so on, using this language in order to, I don't know, create some sort of unity, create the feel-good factor. And it really does tie in to so much. If we think of 2016 and the, and the, you know, the peace accords and prior to that was the, the World Cup when Colombia you know, got to the quarterfinals, the James Rodriguez goal, uh, everybody in a yellow shirt. It is kind of the uniting theme uh, uh, behind Colombia. But tell us a little bit about your research and, and where you had to go and what you had to do to get all this information together. Yeah, sure. Uh, so you're right. One of the main chapters of the book uh, is about the language used by President Santos. The book really just focuses on Santos's regime. <laughs> although there is a chapter which deals with how football and sport has been used in Colombia previously, you know, going back to the early origins and the, the 1920, the 1927 Juegos Olímpicos de Cali, uh, you know, the early the El Dorado League and so on and so forth, the narco football. So there was, there was a kind of preamble with all the ways in which football and politics and society had interacted then. But yeah, the first main chapter deals very much with how Santos spoke about football uh, during his presidency and certainly all around those major events that you talked about. And it was really looking at how there was a very consistent discourse of peace, of unity, of the positive characteristics of Colombia, 
uh, how he was trying to unify through football and how it wasn't just a kind of isolated example of, oh, Colombia in the World Cup, we've done quite well, quickly, let's jump on the bandwagon and say something nice about the country. This was very much a discourse that accompanied everything else that he was saying in trying to promote you know, the peace talks with the FARC and then the implementation of that. So that was one of the main uh, the main strands of research. But then I also looked a bit further. I think that a lot of people who work on football and nation building just tend to look at what politicians say. But actually, I think you need to look at what they do as well. So we looked at, I looked at the laws and the public policies that were introduced kind of prior to Santos, actually, in the Uribe government that started off being looking at how they were trying to stop violence in the stadiums, the kind of Mm. fan hooligan violence. And then these kind of laws eventually kind of morphed into looking at what they call barismo social, kind of these fan group social projects that were trying to uh, improve the situation for themselves. But then this morphed even further towards looking at football for peace and development in different parts of society. And then the final chapter was looking at how football was used actual in action and actual projects uh, particularly looking at football for peace projects. Uh, there was a project called Golombiao, which was a kind of um, a methodology that worked with UNICEF. Mm. But also most importantly, and I think probably most interestingly, how football was very much a part of the uh, the project for reintegration of the FARC uh, former guerrillas after they signed the project, how football became part of the, the process in the, in the ETCR camps. So, yeah, so basically that was what I was looking at. You know, I, I spent time in, in Bogota talking to people who were involved in the public policies, who were part of the investigation of the project, people who were running some of the Peace for Development, Sport for Peace and Development projects in, in Bogota and elsewhere. Uh, one was actually a former classmate of mine when I was in school in Colombia, which is an incredible coincidence. Um <laughs> So, yeah, it was things like that. And eventually also talking to people in then Col Deportes, which then has obviously become Min Deporte, the Ministry of Sport in Colombia, mm. talking to them about how they implemented the projects. So a lot of the coaches who were involved in the FARC demobilization and reintegration camps about what they were doing, how it was working, what their opinions were. And then even slightly right at the end of the, the PhD, also got the chance to talk to a couple of people from the FARC who had also become involved in helping to run those 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 projects as well and have been trying to do that since since it all kind of ended so there was lots of various strands for the investigation hopefully it all it all pulled together relatively well in, in the book amazing though to cover all of that i mean when you talk about the sort of el dorado league back then i guess you're talking about you know the bogota bandits and and, and uh, uh the english footballers that came over in the non-professional era uh, and obviously were then then uh, Charlie Mitten and others, you know, That's then right. were obviously banned from playing back in England once again because they've been taken. But you know, you sort of think about that. It's like they were getting they were getting a few pounds or a pound or whatever in their football boot back in the day in England as well. I mean, it wasn't. But over here, they were obviously you know taking full advantage of the uh, coffee boom and and so on and so forth. But when you talk about narco football, are we talking specifically about like sort of? Orejuela and Gacha and Escobar investing into the teams and sort of laundering money through them as well. Yeah, absolutely, that period. I think you've got this dual period, which is is quite a central idea of how football use has changed and that that you have a football that was contaminated, that was polluted, that was corrupted by, you know, those people you mentioned, Escobar in the Medellin clubs and obviously Gacha at Millonarios and then the Rodriguez Orejuela brothers in, in with America de Cali and, and yeah. various others as well. 
And what the problem was really is that at the same time as all these clubs are corrupted, they're obviously doing well. The national team starts doing well as well. And you have this, this then a very, very kind of spoken discourse by you know, people like the manager, Maturana, by the president, Gaviria, who are trying to promote this idea of Colombia being something other than violence and drugs and corruption through the fact that the football team was playing this really attractive, successful, united style of football. You know, the problem, and I guess that what I talk about in the in the book is that, you know, football in Colombia is kind of placed against a Colombian other. You know, the national Colombian football team is supposed to be representing the best of Colombia against the worst of Colombia, that kind of narco Colombia, if you like. But then obviously there's a problem because that same football team or a lot, a lot of players have contacts with, you know, the cartels, the money of the cartels is actually corrupting the the very symbol that is supposedly trying to destroy the image of a bad Colombia. And it all falls apart in 1994 when, you know, Andres Escobar's murdered, when all the revelations really come out on an international plane about, you know, how, how what the influence was, the threats that were made to Maturana and some of the players. There's a great documentary about that called The Two Escobars yeah. that I'd recommend if people want to learn more about that. But it, it really kind of fell apart. Part. So, so all of that kind of period ruined Colombia, ruined football in lots of ways as a national symbol. It was too close to the very things that were giving a negative identity to Colombia. Mm. So what Santos does, and I suppose through a lot of the laws that were introduced that were supposed to clean football, that were supposed to reduce this corrupting influence, was supposed to reduce violence in the in the stands. That then you have this idea that football actually is uniting. It is a clean symbol. It is a unifying symbol. And all these things are generally in the past, or at least that's the narrative that Santos proposes. It's it's really fascinating because he he does bring in so much. You know, it's, it's so much. And when you know, I hadn't thought about it until I'd met you and you talked about. it. And then when I would watch a Santos speech, it's almost almost everyone is punctuated with some sort of football analogy. And of course, it's a way of getting the language that he needs to get out to the people that need to hear it. He's not speaking, and you know, like uh, President Gustavo Petro, which is a language that doesn't, you know, the current president doesn't get to the masses. It's, it's too intellectual, too academic. This is not to say that Santos is not intellectual, because the use of this language, of course, is very studied. And now, I wonder, I have to ask you, did you get to speak to Santos himself or people around him about this? I didn't, but the best, probably the best source I got was speaking to his director of communications, uh, um, who was there for at least, well, certainly the seven years of his government and uh, prior to that when he was in the Ministry of Interior. And he was fascinated. He was his name is Juan Carlos Torres. Yeah. And he was fascinated to talk to. It was actually the very last day I was in Colombia. It was the morning of my, my flight back to back to England. So I got it in just in time. Uh, and he was really interesting because he was he really confirmed that it was a very delicacy, that it was something that Santos had talked about, about saying, you know, we need to we need to find the ways to get our our rhetoric and ideas into popular parlance. Mm. Um, we need to do it, we need to try and find ways to make people happy. We need to focus on positives. Because these are the things that the opposition can't can't argue against. You know, they can't argue against the football team doing well, and somehow this is a criticism of the country. It's, it's something that that is a way of of sneaking positive notions of peace and so on into into the public dialogue in a less problematic way. So it was a very deliberate policy. It was done all the time. 
Um, you know, I think there's something like 99 speeches over the eight years that are just about sport. And as you say, there are many others that that include it. I, I can't. I think it was something over a thousand one hundred tweets that either Santos or the Info Presidencia you know, Twitter account released as well. So it was. It was very common. And I think. I mean, a, a friend of mine who's a sociologist in um, in Colombia who worked on some of the public projects and has studied fan funds, a guy called Alejandro Villanueva, really talks about it very well. I mean, he talks about this footballization of politics where, or sportivization of politics, where if you've got an important message, then try and get it in, in in a message about cycling or about boxing or, you know, roller skating, if they've won a medal in that, or football, because suddenly the news that is stuck on the front page and people ignore is suddenly part of the back page narrative where, you know, whether as Lots are being talked about, and that's where it kind of seeps in a little bit more to a wider audience. So yeah, it was very deliberate, and that was very much confirmed by the the communications team that were, that he worked with. Yeah. So, uh, but I, you know, we'd also say that for a huge amount of the population, cycling now, obviously, the, the the figures that, and I've mentioned this in previous interviews, and we've had Matt Rendell, obviously, the the guy who knows the most, I think, about yeah, it. he's amazing. Um, yeah. and we've had him on the show. I met him in person, and he and he speaks exactly like he does. <laughs> I mean, it, these just these anecdotes and sociological investigations come out, and he's like, "Oh my word!" Uh, but but cycling, and, and no doubt you see this as well. In in now when you're because I, I, I suppose you can't watch a presidential speech or something or in anything without saying, well, that's a sports analogy there. And that's a sports analogy there. It's become your expertise. And I'm, so it makes me curious uh, in, in saying when we had the, the, the four years of President Duque, um, I don't know if he used sports analogies because everything was, I, I mean, everything was either consumed by something else or he was doing keepy uppies or heading the ball or so on and so forth did he use the but did he use language or was it just the the images yeah no there's a bit of both going on i think you're absolutely right in that every sport can serve for it. i think that colombia is a country that is looking for positive moments mm. because that's what you know colombia's had quite relatively few of them in its history so you know when egan bernal or nairo quintana you know do well in the cycling or when you know, the tennis players, you know, one Wimbledon, oh, um, Robert Farah, I forgot. That's right, Kowalia. You know, I mean, even when the underwater rugby team, of all things, <laughs> won a medal. You know, this serves as a moment for positive messages. And I think Duque tries to do it as well. You can, If you look at the time of, you know, the Colombian football matches and when Colombia are winning, those same tweets will occur. And there's a slight change of language. You know, it's not necessarily talking about... Uh, about, for example, peace. It's maybe talking about peace through justice. You know, there, there are that type of idea of, of you know, of, of justice or fighting for rights or something like that that occurs rather than, you know, the type of words that Santos was using. I think for Duque, the main problem he had is that he just didn't have the same success that Santos had to work with. You know, there are certain triumphs, probably more triumphs in the cycling, obviously, um, the tennis. Um, but the World Cup was gone. You know, Colombia didn't do very well in the World Cup qualifying. So that kind of venue as a really important area to, to talk about a nation succeeding, hero, hero, heroes of the nation, uh, you know, whatever mess you wanted to use, they just didn't happen. 
And I think that what's another interesting thing, and it, it's been an ongoing process that, you know, there's a lot of talk about, I suppose, sport washing and nation branding through sport. sport. Colombia's been doing this a lot because they've been hosting more and more tournaments, international events, you know, going back to 2011 with the the um, the under-20 World Cup, you know, there was an attempt to host the, the Women's World Cup, um, you know, I think it's 2023, isn't it? They they wanted to host the the Copper America in 2020, and then that got postponed. So there's been an attempt to host mega events and various different other cycling events, tennis events, and so on and so forth, in order to be able to show this kind of positive Colombia through sport. It's very similar to what they do through tourism. I think you know you've talked with a lot of guys on and people on this podcast about how important tourism is to create a positive idea of Colombia, and they still do that. Sport works the same way in trying to get Colombia on the news in a different way or in the public attention in a different way. I suppose what Duque had the problem with as well last year when, you know, COVID was still going on and the, the Copper America was supposed to be held was that, A, you had the problems with COVID anyway, but mortally you had the national protests, you had the Paddle Nacional with all the horrific violence and police brutality that was going on in Cali and Pereira and various other places. You know, Colombia was supposed to host the World Cup then, but what you don't want if you're Duque is these kind of venues to be the site of protest, to, for the police to be tear-gassing protesters, for people to be showing signs saying, you know, people are being killed or no to police brutality. So so Duque didn't get that when the when the when the, the tournament was was eventually moved. And it was probably good for him because they'd they'd have these Copra Libertadores games where you could hear the gunshots going on gas was spreading into the stadium and the players were were clearing their eyes and everyone all the Colombian people a lot of the protests were saying we don't want the copper america in Colombia we don't want it here no to football uh, which is a vast difference to what Colombians have thought previously when they've always wanted to have it so so that was a really interesting moment that, that the chance for Dulce to talk about football and nation the positive aspects of Colombia was really ruined by a kind of convergence of factors of the national team not doing very well the COVID situation and the Paddle Nacional turning against Colombia hosting that particular sporting event as well. I remember that it was in Barranquilla, the games, where, where there was the, yeah. the tear gas being shot and some of the players, I can't remember, was it from an Argentine team? Yeah, yeah, I think it was River Plate. Yeah, I think it was coughing the, and, yeah, and so on. That's right, yeah. And you could hear, I mean, you could hear the flash bombs and the, and the, and the, and the tear gas being shot whilst watching the game. I mean, it was pretty... It was pretty hairy stuff because it's like as a war zone outside the stadium. Um, I, I think it's very interesting what you're saying about that Duque didn't get it. I also found it very interesting. It was Duque, wasn't it, who gave, what was it Santos, who gave the, um, you know, the yellow football jersey to any visiting uh, dignitary? Was it Santos yeah, that's or was the, it Duque? that's standard. Yeah, they've both done it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I always wonder why you'd do that because it's not, you know, I can understand if you were, it was the Brazil team, you know, sort of five, five pentacampion or something or yeah, you know some sort of anniversary that works well but the colombian team was what nice shirt you know that's that's my feeling yeah. nice shirt nice friendly thing to do symbol of the country but hardly and let's let's i, don't know, I try not to be so negative but hardly a soaring success story i mean you know no no you're right i mean i think it's it's a very masculine president present you know it's yeah. it's, it's often interchanged i mean certainly you look at evo morales from bolivia yes the same thing um i have a feeling that the ecuadorian president correa at the time exchanged shirts with santos as well 
I know that the Pope has at least three Colombian shirts. I think one from Santos, one from Duque, I think. And I think one from people who are trying to promote peace as well. So, you know, the Pope has a bit of a collection. I mean, it, I mean, in lots of ways, it feels like a present of the people, if you know what I mean. In, in, the, in the case, it's not a very over-intellectualized, overly elite type of present in the way of people giving vast collections of Shakespeare and so on. So maybe this is a way of, you know, of connecting on a very popular, understood level and okay. showing how certain popular cultural symbols, you know, create union across, you know, countries and continents and so on. Then I can understand it in that respect. I definitely can understand it. You said something else there, the masculine side of things. Let's talk about the Women's World Cup. Um, you know, Colombia got to the final, uh, lost to one penalty against Brazil. Huge deal. A huge deal for a for a league that kind of exists, I'd say, in the best possible term. Very little money, lots of tales of, uh, you know, abuse or sexual exploitation and so on. Uh, it made big news. I hope this now... Uh, has a lasting impact. I hope. What do you? I mean, how did you feel watching it from overseas? How? Did, what was your impressions? Yeah, and no, I think I think the Copa America was was a, the feminina was a really yeah. No, it was. A, I mean, it was. You're right. I mean, they did attempt to host the the world the women's as well. So the Copa America feminina was a similarly important event on slightly more of a continental level than a global one. I think what was really important about it was that it was going on when the when there weren't any other really important major tournaments or sporting events going on. It also kind of happened after the presidential election, so it didn't get swallowed up by that. Um, I know that the the um, the Tour de France was kind of going on at the same time, but no one was particularly doing well or incredibly well from Colombia in that. So I suppose that there was a kind of a sporting opening for the women's selection, which they haven't really had. And I think for people than previously got behind it in the press. Uh, I think the fact that Colombia were hosting it got it into the public attention. I think that also some of the stadiums uh, and people running it did a very good job in getting people to the ground. Certainly America de Cali and Deportivo Cali have generally been two of the better uh, teams at promoting their women's football. So the fact that the first couple of games were held in, in Cali actually helped the audiences. Uh, and I think that they used the tournament very well to to create an image of of the problems that they were facing. There was certainly the the gesture in the first game with the hands up raised, the, all the women raised their hands, and you know the the win commentators on the TV you know interpret it in a very different way from what actually it was represented, but actually helped the women's team to create more of a controversy. The fact that the the women's football league, which is the kind of Schrodinger's cat of of Colombian sport that no one really knows if it exists or not. It seems to exist for two months and then disappears again. But the fact that the, the Di Mayor had said that the, the competition wouldn't be going on gave another very interesting angle from the press and people were holding up banners saying they were demanding a, a women's football league and people got behind that in social media. So there was, the, so the, I suppose the climate in terms of the potential for creating awareness was very strong. And I think that a lot of people did a very good job on social media and the press at, at promoting that. What you then need is the team to do well, and, and they did. And you also have important things like certain heroes. You look at the player of the tournament, Linda Caicedo, who's only 17, is an incredibly talented player. 
who's been heard of the last four years, more or less, as being an up-and-coming player. You have some of the more established players like Lacey Santos, uh, Catalina Usme, various others who who had a great tournament. And as you say, they, they played good football. They got to the final. They were unlucky to lose. And so you have a success story as well. So all the, the, the perfect ingredients are there for for that to be a springboard for putting pressure on certainly the incoming government to do something and also the Mayor, the Federación Colombiana de Football, the clubs, and also attracting sponsors because you need all all of those different institutions to get behind you know, the momentum that has been created. Now, again, it's very difficult for it to 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 continue with the same momentum it, it's kind of disappeared again there's no league at the moment what's encouraging at least is that the new uh, designated minister of sport maria isabel Rutia, who is a an afro-colombian she won a, a gold medal in the in the sydney olympic games in the year 2000 she is a woman used to overcoming adversity used to fighting for women's rights and sport she's been in the senate i believe before as well so there is a, a very strong potential ally there. Hopefully, she will be able to push things, and hopefully, the media attention cause will continue to push. It will need the women's footballers to continue to to find creative ways of getting their message across through social media, through other campaigns, with the support of the players' uh, ACOL Pro, which is the, the trade union for, for footballers. I think that Petro was disappointing in the way that he uh, spoke about the tournament. I don't think uh, Petro is very good on sport. I'm not sure how interested he is in it. But he, he, you know, I think that presidential candidates need to speak on these occasions about footballing or yeah. sporting success because it's expected. And it's a good way of showing that you are with the people, inverted commas, that you're aware of these successes and you're promoting significant achievements for the whole population. Petro didn't tweet, I think, until the semi-final. And it was very much a case of, oh, you did very well done. Felicitaciones, congratulations. And that was about it. It wasn't anything like, you're a great symbol for the nation. You're our ambassadors. We're hugely proud of all your achievements. You demonstrate strength and courage and brilliance and all these other things that Santos was actually quite good at doing. He then did talk about the importance of a women's league being created. Okay. Uh, but I would say it was rather unconvincing in terms of uh, political rhetoric. It's kind of what he needed to say, but it lacked, I suppose, the same types of language that's used when the men's team is talked about. There's a very different set of words that tend to be used for the men's and women's teams. But I think it's a really vital moment. It was an incredible achievement. And I think that, I mean, I've tweeted it several times and I expected people to, to potentially attack me for it and no one did, which is great. <laughs> but I've said that, you know, women's football has probably a much higher ceiling than men's football does in Colombia, given the lack of resources, the lack of infrastructure, the lack of investment. And given what they're achieving already is testimony to what the potential is for, you know, women's football and women's sport more generally in Colombia, particularly when the men's sport is kind of plateaued in terms of men's football anyway it's difficult to know just how much they can achieve against brazil against argentina and against the rest of the world god i that tweet it, it should have been jumped on and i i, I would have loved to I, i'm sure you're a little bit disappointed that you didn't get uh the the pickup wanted you know we all we all are guilty of 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 putting something out there to see what kind of reaction we may get but i think you're right i think you're right if 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 
again, you know, the, 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 the players can get to the final of the Copa America on so, such limited resources. Why can't they, you know, do so much better and better, of course, than you say, than the, than the, than the men's team. And I think that's an, a very important point to make. I think uh, uh, very interesting that Petro didn't take advantage of, of this, you know, I would say the sporting, um, Success, very interesting because you know he's he's got advisors all around him. Uh, they would have they would have told him that there's there's something else going on uh, around. I think that's very it's a curious thing that he didn't take advantage of it. But maybe he didn't want to be seen as taking advantage of something that he didn't know about as well. He don't, I don't know anything about his his knowledge on sport. I don't know anything about his. I don't know if I've ever seen a photo of him in the yellow jersey. I'm sure he has worn it, <laughs> but there was um, yeah, there was a. I think Miguel Cuadros, who who I think you've had on the yes. podcast before, is a friend of mine, and I think you know someone I'm going to work with hopefully in an article. Um, you know, he I think he sent me a picture of of Petro wearing either a cocota and a Bucaramanga football shirt in the in the in the elections when he was doing speeches there which uh, again is a very a very common topic you know? okay i mean i think you're right you know when politicians speak about football there's all kinds of accusations of jumping on the bandwagon and you're just a populist and oh you're just you know leave the football alone this is for us and not for you so you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't you either speak about it because it matters and you want to be supporting you know things that are important for the nation, things that a politician should care about, particularly when, you know, it is a it is a way that the nation can be portrayed in a positive way. So he should be speaking about the women's football team and and, and any other sporting team or individual that does well because, you know, they, they're deserving of 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 uh, credit and support. Um but equally, you know, you are going to be accused of populism and you know and just on the bandwagon, but I think you still have to talk about it. I think you have to, I think you have to, but I think it's how you speak about it that yeah. matters because, you know, I mean, I think words have power. The way in which you speak about people, I suppose, demonstrates what your priorities are and how you value those contributions. And, you know, and again, women's football has will always be compared with what masculine football does. And I think that's where the, the machismos and the discriminations or, you know, conscious or unconscious is very clearly visible. And I think, you know, in my kind of very sad way of following tweets, I'll be looking at, you know, the next time Colombia play Peru or, or Argentina or wherever it might be, and, and, and just seeing what Petro says and then comparing it, because it does say a great deal about how they're valued in the kind of sporting landscape and national landscape. Definitely. Now, and how do you react then, when we use these language and so, and so on, how do you react to uh, the guy who's in charge, was it Jesseron, when he says something like, oh, you know, the, the women's team, they're like my daughters. Um, I, 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 for my, my feeling is we've still got quite a long way to go to, before the, the, the women's team is seen as, you know, a, a, a real team. Uh, when you've got the guy overseeing the whole of the sort of football culture and the football leagues in Colombia saying something like that, it, it's kind of diminishing it to a, I would say a type of pageant. Yeah, no, you're very, you're very right. I mean, Ramon Hesurun, uh, you know, can be criticized for a lot of things in terms of his organization of football. And this is just the latest. One. It does come, it does come over as being very patronizing as being very, paternalistic of superior the fact that he turned up for the you know the semi-final and the victory and was part of those celebrations you know felt like 
uh, you know, a gesture, gesture politics and little else. He's not the only one. I think it's important to say that. I think that, again, if people are interested in, in women's football and some of the footballers who talk about it, the likes of Vanessa Cordova, who's a goalkeeper, uh, you know, puts out tweets regularly about these kind of issues and was promoting the idea of saying, you know, don't call us niñas, don't call us, just call us mujeres. Yeah. You know, we are women, we're not girls, we're not the little girls anymore. You know, it's not like you go and say, you know, oh, well done, well done, kid, to, I don't know, to Falcao or, or Hamid. They're <laughs> men, they're with masculine, yes. you know, characteristics. I know they, you know, the chicos and muchachos might come in, but but that kind of paternalistic, you know, slightly misogynistic, demeaning language is very much present. And it's, it's there all the time. You know, Santos, the only time he actually did a speech and spoke about the women's national team was actually in his very first year of government you know, with all the various you know, achievements the women's football team had over his eight years. And he used the word, it was lindas jovencitas, you know, pretty young girls, which again, you know, is the, pretty much the same thing as Hesurun did, but also adding in the lindas, the pretty thing, which again links this idea of we just appreciate women for their aesthetic qualities, their beauty, you know, the way they wear their shorts rather than the way they kick the ball and how athletic they are and how sportingly talented they are. So so that kind of imagery is very, very entrenched in 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 the Colombian game, in the South American game generally. I mean, it's very easy to find articles that talk about, you know, who are the hottest 10 footballers in South America or so on and so forth. Uh, you know, that, I mean, that's a thing that is very common. It's part of, you know, sadly, the footballing and cultural landscape. But I think that these ideas are changing. And I think that a lot of the footballers, some of who are still playing, others who have largely been, it seems, vetoed from the Colombian team due to denouncing the scandals of the past. We're talking about, for example, Melissa Ortiz. We're talking about um, Natalia Gaitan. We're talking about Isabella Echeverri. You know, players who've had success abroad and aren't in the Copper America team because presumably or supposedly or allegedly, they might have been vetoed due to complaints they've made about the past. But these women and some of the, the the football magazines and football writers, you know, are now getting behind them and are now trying to tackle these, you know, enduring stereotypes and you know, paternalistic vision that still exists. And I think that, you know, the one thing that you can say about, about Heterun, it wasn't as bad as what the Tolima director, Gabriel Camargo, mm said i think in 2019 you know very re- very shortly after one of the colombian women's team had won the copa libertadores i think atletico wheeler had won the libertadores something which the the wheeler men's team will never achieve mm. will never achieve and mm. the tolima director talked about you know women's football being something like a cauldron of lesbianism or something similar you know i mean completely machistic sexist disgraceful comments that he was eventually forced to apologize for but these that's demonstrative of you know the, the views of leading figures in the colombian footballing hierarchy and establishment mm. so there's a lot of work to do there are very obviously very few women mm. in those kind of hierarchical positions and that's part of the problem as well as you say I mean, as we come back to the main topic the language the language employed in these situations so i just thought would point our listeners uh, to read a piece by my co-host emily hart uh, who she wrote a piece in uh, a long piece in columbia reports a couple of years ago I'll, I'll i'll dig it up again but she did a deep dive into the women's league and and some of the issues faced and i think very worthwhile reading because i mean you know things that weren't clear 
are revealed, and they're becoming more revealed uh, as as you know as things progress. We see the Copa America and other things. We start thinking in this, you know, and, and it's an era now. Finally, I don't think I'm in a position to say any of these things, but but finally, language can change. Uh, let's let's bring this bring this to a close. Though, how has the book been received? Um, I hope pretty well. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of anxiously waiting for. I suppose the first academic reviews will 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 come out eventually. I know yeah. it's it's gone over to various journals for being reviewed, so we'll see what what happens there. I mean, I think that certainly people who have read it already or read from it, uh, you know, think it's been a very important addition to a field which which Columbia hasn't really investigated enough. There are some really great Colombian scholars who deserve a lot of attention. You know, we've talked about a couple of them already today who, who work on these kind of things. Um, so I think I think people have liked it. Um, you know, I'd, I'd hope people will get a chance to read it. Um, it's also, I mean, it's it is available from from Liverpool University Press online, and importantly, it's also available on various open access schemes. It's the first book um, on a a project called Opening the Future, which which uh, allows it to be to be accessed by libraries for free if they, they subscribe to this. So, right. so that's a really important thing. You know, a lot of academic books don't get out there for various reasons. So, hopefully, at least that will help in some ways. Um, but no, I mean, people who've read it and read bits of it have been very kind and, and said nice things, and, and hopefully that'll continue. But again, it's always nice to have discussions if people disagree. Then that's part of the academic life as well. Well, that's so cool. Well, I'll be looking out for your, your let's say, um, provocative tweets in coming weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you again for, for coming on this show. Uh, it's, it's, it's always a pleasure. And you speak so well. Obviously, this is a, a true passion of yours. But uh, Pete Watson's book is out, Football and Nation Building in Colombia. And so the tagline is, the only thing that unites us. Hard to argue with that, really. Hard to argue with that. And so he traveled the country, visited, interviewed, and really got into the nitty gritty of the football culture here from an academic and, and I would say a social perspective. So Pete, let me say thank you so much and, and all the best with those academic reviews. <laughs> Thanks so much, Richard. It's always a great pleasure coming on the on the podcast. It's one I, as you know, I listen to you regularly. So I know, it's, it's always, always a pleasure fun. to talk to you. It's always fun to have a listener. But as a, well, anyway, we'll be signing off and we'll be back next week. Great people lined up. Uh, I, in fact, I've got some really, really good uh, surprise in the, in the in the pipeline but uh, we'll sign off now and uh, well here's a couple of messages from our sponsors please support them that's latin news and um bnb columbia tours so here's the message from our sponsors and goodbye this episode was brought to you by latin news a leading source of political and economic analysis on latin america and the caribbean since 1967 their flagship publication the latin american weekly report provides a behind-the-scenes briefing on all the week's key developments throughout the region sign up for a 14-day free trial at latinnews.com and also our other sponsor is bnb colombia tours experts in custom-made travel throughout colombia the team at BNB Columbia Tours can provide you with fantastic 
private experiences, creating wonderful memories of Colombia for a lifetime. Check out the website at bnbcolombia.com, complete the free itinerary form, and tell them that Columbia Calling sent you to receive a further 5% off their already great prices. So that's bnbcolombia.com and, of course, latinnews.com. Thank you for everyone for listening. That's us. Farewell. And, of course, check back next week. Bye-bye. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.